0: Our text this morning we found in John chapter 15, we already read it, Um, but specifically I'm just going to read verse 7, and we're going to pray and ask the Lord to to help us. Verse 7 says, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your Word and the promises of your Word. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would have con- full control this morning of my mouth, my mind, my thoughts, my heart. Lord, to be your Spirit to speak through me. Lord, you know that I don't have anything of myself. Lord, I was, I'm empty. But God, I pray that you fill me up. Lord, that that you'd feed your people this morning. God, I pray that you would have your way with each and every one of us, Lord. And may you make a difference in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been talking about... um, we started out the year uh talking about being prepared uh for the day of battle and we ended that uh in Ephesians chapter 6 that study it's about six six services or six weeks I think it was uh, we ended that service uh with uh with the 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 most needed thing and it's good that we we need to be uh, Wearing the armor of the Lord, right? It doesn't. It's it's important for our protection, but it doesn't do any good to dress up in the armor if we're not going to battle. And we we talked about and, and the the need for battling and and the battle is really fought on our knees. It's a spiritual battle. We don't run around fighting against one another. We 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 we're fighting a spiritual enemy, and that's Satan. And the only way to fight against that spiritual enemy is to get on our knees and seek the Lord. That's why in verse eighteen it says praying always. And he goes on talking about prayer and praying for one another and. And Paul said, and "Pray for me," and he told them how, how they could pray and, and then we, we began this this study on on prayer and, and last we looked at the need of prayer and how necessary it was in our lives we uh, last week we looked at uh, uh, Luke chapter eleven and and, and looked at uh, Jesus teaching the apostles to pray and and, and how they were to pray and not to faint and i I began thinking about and we mentioned it last week uh, thinking about just how powerful the prayers of Jesus Christ were because out of anybody in the world, whole world ever living or had ever lived if anybody could could get, a, could get a hold of the father and and have their have their, their prayers answered it was Jesus Christ uh, there, 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 wasn't a, uh, there wasn't a time when he prayed where he didn't feel like the father didn't hear him. The, the only time that he ever felt uh, separated from the Father was when he hung on the cross, where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only point in time in his entire life here on this earth. Uh, 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 and I began to think, wow, what powerful prayers. That's why the disciples asked him to pray. I, I was talking with Elijah this morning, and I, I said, Elijah, wh- what do you think a powerful prayer is? And he he talked about a couple different uh, or Things we could pray about and pray for. And then he said this. And I said, You got it. See, a powerful prayer is one that God responds to, one that God answers. It's, 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 that, that's what Christ did. When Christ prayed, God the Father heard and God answered. And we can look back in, 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 in history and see how God worked in miraculous ways in, in people's life. But even better than that, we can look biblically and look in the Bible and see how God answered and moved in powerful ways. Our desire should be, as children of God, to pray with power. How many of you have, have ever prayed and, 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 and felt like God heard you? How many, how many of you ever prayed and didn't, it felt like God didn't hear you at all? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It, it makes you feel weak, which we are. We're going to get to that in a little bit. It makes you feel, uh, it makes you feel powerless uh, uh, to, to, to do that, to pray and ask God, God, I need you to do this, and God just doesn't respond at all. We can have powerful prayer. Uh, I, I want to submit to you this morning that, that powerful prayer is, first of all, uh, prayer that moves the hand of God. It, it's, it's, it, it's, it's prayer that's not just prayed fervently. Now, we, we read that verse in, in the book of James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And there is uh, there's something to be said for someone who prays effectually and fervently. But just because our prayers are fervent, j- does not mean that, that God is going to answer or hear. Turn with me to first Corinthians, Corinthians, 1 Kings chapter 18. There was a period of time when our Bibles would have, in fact, mine just did, fall open to that, that place. If you remember this passage of scripture, this is the, the account of Elijah. And Elijah's prayer is found here, if you would jump over to verse 36. I'll start reading there. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And that was the prayer. It wasn't long. It wasn't full of big words. It, wasn't, it was, not Lord, I'm doing this because you said for me to do this. God, turn their hearts back to you. What was he really asking? In fact, he never even said the words of what he was asking Him to do. But what was he asking Him to do? Send fire from heaven to burn the sacrifice, to consume the sacrifice. And the next verse says, "And fire fell from heaven." What happened? Elijah, a man like just like you and I, prayed unto God, and God's hand was moved. Fire, fire fell from heaven. It, 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 it lit that 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 altar on fire burnt up the sacrifice burnt up all the water that was around it and the people that were there looked upon it and they said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and they took down those 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah slew them killed them right then and there why because powerful prayer moved the hand of God Now, remember what I said powerful prayer isn't dependent on the fervency who was praying fervently before the 450 prophets of Baal They they prayed all day long. They prayed long prayers, agonizing prayers. They beat themselves and cut themselves, caused themselves to bleed all over the place, thinking that God would hear them. And what did Elijah do on the side? Do you think maybe he went on the trip? Yell a little louder. He's sleeping. He's mocking them and making fun of them. But in the end, he was able to pray, and God heard, and God's hand was moved. That's powerful prayer. Wouldn't you like to be able to pray like that? So I don't need fire to come from heaven to light my bonfire or whatever. No, you don't need that. But you need to be able to get on your knees. You need to be able to bow your head. You need to be able to enter into the very presence of God, seeking for help in time of need, and have God hear and answer, don't you? Isn't that what we all want? We're talking about prayer life. And listen, there are so many people that will pray. and Their prayers are never answered. And we're going to talk about why here in a minute. We, we we talked about it last week. Uh, uh, there are three there are three characteristics of uh, of secret prayer. Three keys to secret prayer, and how how we are uh, the our our corporate prayer life and praying out in the open should be built upon and based upon our, our secret prayer life, where we're where, where we pray in our own closet without anybody else around, and, and just us and, and and the Father as we as we commune together. And, and listen, we can have that, and we can have that powerfully in entering into the presence of God, and we can ask God for things. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can have more than we can ever ask or think. All through the power of prayer. But it isn't because of our fervency or the, the length of our prayers. Powerful prayer not only moves the hand of God, but it also stays the hand of God. Second Chronicles chapter 12. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, Israel has sinned and God is bringing judgment upon the people. Verse 1 says, and it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Notice verse 2, And it came to, pa- came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shashak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. It wasn't saying uh, Egypt had transgressed, they were already transgressing. God was using the, uh, Shashak and, and that, his armies to judge the people of God. And God brought that into their life. And, and, into, 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 and once you jump over to verse 7, Then came Shemaiah the prophet to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together uh, to Jerusalem because of Shishak and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me, therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. Whereupon the princes of Israel, sorry that was verse 5, I'm in verse 6 now. Whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, the Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. See, a God, powerful prayer is not necessarily a prayer that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that just moves the hand of God. Well, it can do that. Sometimes it stays the hand of God. Sometimes God is bringing judgment up in, in a certain area, and you can pray, and God can, God's hand can be moved or stayed. See, what prayer does is it allows us to commune with the Heavenly Father. And we can come to Him. And listen, it had nothing to do with the righteous life. Sometimes we look at our, we look at our, ourselves and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't do this or that. God should hear my prayers. You know what that's called? Self-righteousness. You know what God thinks of that? You don't like it. It's based out of pride. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 7, there are six things that the Lord Doth hate, seven are an abomination to him. And the first one is a proud look. God hates pride. It's, a, it's, a, it's that sin that caused Satan to fall. It's, it's a sin that all of us have to deal with at one point or another. But, but he didn't answer their prayer because they were a righteous people. In fact, they had to humble themselves. And they were being judged because they weren't a righteous people. Powerful prayer is one that moves the hand of God. It's one that can stay the hand of God. Now, don't shoot me for this, and I'm going to prove it here scripturally. But powerful prayer is one that can change the mind of God. Powerful prayer is one that can change the mind of God. Say, well, God is all-knowing, and God's mind knows everything. Yes, he does. But that doesn't combat the scripture in Exodus. Turn over to Exodus chapter 32 with me. Exodus chapter 32. Look with me to verse eleven. Now we know the situation here, uh just to make sure we're very clear. Uh Exodus 32.11, uh, this is when uh Moses has gone up on the mountain, and the people of God um waited for him for a little while and then decided we need a new God, and they made a golden calf. 3211 says this. And Moses, uh, jump up a little bit. And the Lord said, verse 7, The Lord said unto Moses, "Get, Go, get thee down, for thy people which, they, which thou broughtest out of e- the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly, out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said... These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So what's happening? God says, stand back and get out of the way. I'm going to kill everybody, and I'm starting over with you, Moses. Verse 11. Thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto thee, I will multiply your seed at the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And here's a key verse And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, to clarify and understand what it's saying here, the word repent does not mean that God was going to do something sinful word repent literally means to change direction or to change one's mind. But it, says, but it says he repented of the evil that he was going to do unto them. It's not saying that what he was going to do was evil, but they were certainly going to see it as evil. He was going to destroy them. It, it, it didn't make what he was going to do wrong. It was just remember God is perfect and can't do anything that's imperfect he is just and cannot do anything that's unjust they had sinned and they had denied and they had rejected him he would have been he would have been right to judge them rightly if you steal a car are you guilty yes so so they had sinned against him and he would have been right and just to destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth just like he did back in Noah's day you understand what, what's happening here but but what happened? A man of God got on his knees, and he said, and he besought the Lord God of Israel. And he said, please don't do this. And he interceded on the behalf of the people of Israel. And a powerful prayer changed the mind of God. Hey, hey, uh, listen, uh, sometimes we think, uh, I'm not going to... Let me say this correctly. I want to make sure. I'm not going to get up and say, I am greater than God. And my, my, my thoughts and my decisions are better than God's. But a powerful prayer, we're going to talk about what makes a prayer powerful. A powerful prayer is one that is in line with the will of God, that glorifies God, and one that, that, that binds us to God. And and, and for for Moses, he reminded the Lord, listen, remember what you did. Remember the promises that you made. God, please. God, in his forgiveness, didn't do anything that was against his nature, did he? No, because he's a good and loving God and able to forgive. Would he have been just to to judge them? Yes. But he was also just to, to forbear, as one might say. But a powerful prayer is one. That can change the mind of God, man. I wish that we had that power. Don't you? Don't you? The problem is, that many times we think of prayer and God is kind of like this genie in a bottle. Where, where I don't have a bottle. Of, I got a, I got my coffee cup. Where we rub the the Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup. I'm, I'm not advertising. Uh, where we rub Dunkin' Donuts the the, the 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 bottle, and we expect God to pop out and give us whatever we want. The, 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 the things that we ask for are based upon our whims and our wishes and what we want. But that goes against the word of God completely. Absolutely. Is there power in prayer? There can be. Is there power in your prayer? There can be. The question is there. Turn back to, to John chapter 15, if you would. Verse 7. Just read the, the, the last third of the verse. It says this. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That sounds awesome. I can, you, you mean I can, I can ask God for, for anything that I want, and God will just give it to me. A lot of people translate it that way. And they'll ask God for all kinds of things. They'll say, but God, I, I asked you for this, and I asked you for this. And your, your word says you, ask not because, you have not because you asked not. It goes on to say, if you ask, this."? Right? If we ask for the wrong motivation in the wrong way, we, we won't get it either. And that's what, that's what happens in many situations. We, we can pray for things. Our motivations could be right. We, we may want something, but if it's not intertwined with the will of God, and we're going to we're going to look at the, the the there are well God says yes you can have what you will and it shall be done unto you or done for you uh, there are there are two things that are tied to it and if those two things happen then yes God will give you what you're asking for and we're going to talk about those two things so so what is powerful prayer powerful prayer is a prayer that will move the hand of God it's a hand that will stay, it's a prayer that will stay the hand of God. It's a prayer that will change the mind of God. But how do we have a powerful prayer life? And that's a completely different thing. Verse 7 starts with the word if. Word if is it it means that there's a a, it all kind of hinges on this thing. If you do this, then I will do this. It's a tiny, tiny word, but there's a lot of meaning to it. You see it all throughout Scripture, right? back, back in the 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and, and, and pray and seek my face, then I, I shall... If you do this, then I'll do this, right? The Bible's full of that. Here it says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. How do we obtain a powerful prayer life by doing those two things? Now what does it mean to, to uh, abide in Christ? First of all, you cannot abide in Christ unless you're actually in Christ. The, the the picture here that, that Jesus gave, gives them is given to them at the beginning of the chapter. He uh, says, "I, Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every man, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit." He's this, this, the idea is he, he's they're walking through this vineyard, or they're standing there, and Jesus is using a picture to illustrate uh, this this truth uh, to the disciples. And he says, "I am the vine, my." Father is the husbandman, and you guys are the branches. So, so as we talk about abiding in Jesus Christ or abiding in him, uh, this is what we have as a picture. All right, Tori says it this way. To, to abide in Christ is to renounce all life uh, of our... All life of... Let me, let me read my writing better. To renounce all life other than Christ, and constantly look to him for an inflow of his life into us and his work out through us. Have you ever seen a tree? A branch laying on the ground, cut off, it's, it's broken off, it's not connected, it's not abiding in. What, what, what are some of the characteristics of that branch? It normally it doesn't have any leaves on it, or if they are, they're brown and drying up and Dead. Another characteristic is there's no strength to it. Uh, you, 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 uh, I used to trim trees and, and uh, climb trees for, and, for the power company and, and trim them so they didn't get in the lines. And uh, if you found a dead branch on that tree, it was not one that you wanted to stand on. It wasn't one you wanted to bury your leg. When I said I, when I said I climbed trees, um, uh, they would put uh, spikes on your boots and you'd shimmy up the tree. It was not my favorite job in the world. Um... Didn't like it at all, to be honest with you. I was afraid of heights. So, so I hated that. But there were times when I'd go up there and I would grab onto something that looked like it might have some life. And I'd go to pull myself up and snap. That thing would come right off. That was not a branch you wanted to hold on to. There was no strength to it. There was, there was, there was no fruit to it. it. It was just empty and dead. In and of itself, it couldn't produce anything. In and of itself, it wasn't good for anything. It was just there. Now, think about a branch that, that is abiding in the, the, the tree or, or in the vine, for instance, as far as the, the scripture, the context is talking about. It's strong. Not because it's just there, but because what's in the vine is flowing out through the branch. Every leaf, every, every bit of growth of the branch, every leaf, every piece of fruit or whatever comes, that grows from it, doesn't come from the branch. It comes from the vine and what flows through that. And if there's no connection there, there's no fruit and no life to it. As a Christian, we need to abide in Christ. Say, so, well, how do I do that? Well, if you're saved, that's a start. Right? Without salvation, there is no abiding in Christ. Uh, you're one of those branches that was never connected. Uh, you're, you're, there's there's nothing flowing through. You're spiritually dead. So the, to, for you to abide in Christ, to have this powerful prayer life, you first need to be in Christ. We know we, we know that that happens not because of our goodness or because of our righteousness or because we're the biggest stick on the, on the, uh, laying on the ground. Well, that happens because we're in Christ. How does that happen? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Marvel, not the same you, right? Uh, uh, that was born of the flesh is flesh. That was born of the spirit is spirit. And we're all born of the, of the flesh. When we're born, we need to be born of the spirit to, to be in Jesus Christ. And once that happens and that, that, that spirit begins, uh, is, is in us, uh, there is an a, a inflow of strength and vitality. What happens, though, if there's not much inflow of that strength and vitality, from Christ. There's not much fruit. Sometimes it's because there's a lack of photosynthesis that takes place. Uh, sometimes you get a tree that, you ever seen a tree that's in the shadow of another tree? It doesn't grow very well. It doesn't produce anything. Why? Because it needs the, 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 the sunlight to, to help it to grow. The same thing you see there in verse uh, verse. Uh, Verse two it says, "Every branch in me, in me, notice the branches in him that beareth not fruit, he taketh away." The word "taketh away" the Hebrew word or the the Greek word means to lift up. What uh, what the what the, uh, the men that worked in the vineyard would do they would, as they were going through, they would find these vines, that, or these branches that did not bear up into the sun they would kind of go down underneath and and they'd be hidden from the sunlight they would go down uh, maybe on the ground and and would, the dew and the other things would cause diseases and things that were would make it so it wasn't healthy instead of just cutting off the branches not being useful they would lift it up they would try to treat the disease they would try to get it into the sunlight so that it would begin to produce fruit and and uh, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for those Christians that that, that aren't in the sunlight aren't uh, that are not they're in Christ but they're not really abiding in him. They're not receiving the nourishment that's needed. There he goes. He talks about purging. We'll get to all that in a minute. But if we're going to have a powerful prayer life, we need to abide in Christ. You know how you abide in Christ? You die to self. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, But Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What what happened? Paul was crucified in the flesh. What did Jesus say? Unless a seed, uh, talking about a grain of wheat, fall and die. There'll be, no, there'll be no growth. See, for us to mature as Christians, for us to, to grow, uh, we need to be abiding in Jesus Christ. We cannot do it alone. We cannot produce fruit on our own. We can't do anything alone. And the problem is most of us are trying to live that way. We're trying to live our life separately and away from, from the will of God and what God would have through us. Uh, we say we say we want the power of God in our life, but we don't want to give up or or, or, or surrender ourselves uh, to the life that only Christ can give us. And it takes that yielding. It takes, it takes that, that, that abiding in Him, that dying to self and picking up a cross daily and following Him for us to be able to abide in Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present in your bodies a living sacrifice. What's he talking about? Dying to self. Yielding yourself to God. This is one of the hardest things for for for, for young Christians, for new Christians, for immature Christians to do. Because, uh, just as Paul said, they, uh, there's that spirit of God within them, but they've still got the flesh. And they're going back and forth and And they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle. You know how you abide in Christ and allow His Spirit to flow through you? It's by intertwining your heart with the Lord's. Isaiah forty thirty one. you've probably heard this verse before. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with the wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Beautiful verse that, 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 uh, that's a promise of, of the strength that only can, that can only come from God. And all you've got to do is wait upon the Lord. But what does wait mean? Okay, Lord, any time now? Any time now, Lord? I'm waiting. And I'm tired. <laughs> and getting more and more tired, Lord. I'm many times to be good. That's not what it's talking about. Does it mean serving? Like a waitress. Mary, she was tired. And she was cumbered about, the Bible says there, in the passage where Mary was, not Mary, Martha was tired. Uh, where Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's cumbered about and she's getting angry. She's tired and she's angry. Is that what it means to wait? No. The Hebrew word means to bind together. To you ever remember the passage where it says, "I believe it's in Ecclesiastes that a threefold cord, threefold cord is not quickly broken." You know, they make a rope. I watched this happen years ago. It was a homeschool thing that we did. And we went to this place and they were making rope and they would take these, these, these small, thinner, weaker strands and they tied it to some machine. And that thing spins really fast. I don't know how it all worked, but in the end, you have this strong rope. That's what it's talking about, that we're binding us together. So how do we bind ourselves together? Well, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Tells us how to bind ourselves to, to the heart of God. Joshua chapter 1. If I can Get back there. There we go. This is the passage where God's telling Joshua not to be afraid. But he says here in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In Deuteronomy, the Bible tells the people of Israel that they were to bind it upon thy neck. Proverbs 3 tells us the same thing. To write it upon the tables of their heart, uh, Deuteronomy says to put it on the doorpost. What's it talking about? The Word of God. Now uh, the, the people of Israel, even today, they think this very literal. Uh, you'll, you you may see uh, devout Jews uh, with a little golden necklace. I don't remember what I don't remember the Jewish word, what, the Hebrew word, what it's called. Uh, but in that in that necklace, uh, if you open it up, there's a little scroll with some of the Word of God. You might also find on one of those Jewish homes on the doorpost before you go in. You'll see them. They'll touch it. They'll touch your lips before they go in. It's inside again. I don't remember the word for it, but it's, a, it's It contains a little scroll with, with some of the Torah in it. That's very literal. Here's a question. Does that do anything for you? No. Do you, you think that's what God was talking about when he said to, to bind it about your neck and to, write it, uh, to put it on your doorpost? No. He's talking about having it before your eyes all the time, uh, talking about it, living it, uh, uh, repeating it, uh, talking about it to your children, to your spouse. Uh, the, the word of God is in your mouth, and uh, in your heart, in your mind all the time. Spend your time memorizing the word of God. See, we're to abide in him and in his word, and his word is also abide in us so so and we'll get to the second part here in a minute what that what that what that means but it's not that we just carry it you can carry your Bible I know people that carry the Bible everywhere I carry my Bible everywhere I, if I leave my Bible somewhere I feel lost I feel almost naked without it and that's Terrifying thing. Uh, so, so, so I always have my Bible with me. But not everybody can carry a big Bible like this. Sometimes people carry a, a little New Testament or they've got it on the phone. But they, they they, can say, I've always got the Word of God. Does it do any good to carry it? It does as much good for you to carry it as if you are wearing a necklace or if you're touching the doorpost as you go in the door. Read it. Read it. Spend some time every single day. Listen, you cannot separate prayer, prayer, real prayer, powerful prayer, away from the Word of God. The two are connected and combined. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon said, said that the, uh, that the, somebody asked him, a student asked him, which is more important, praying or reading the Bible? And he asked them, which is more important, inhaling or exhaling, breathing in and breathing out. It's, it's the very basis of any strong Christian life. You need the Word of God in your life. Read it. Write it on a 3x5 card. Carry it with you everywhere you go. Memorize scripture. Um, that's for kids in Sunday school. That's not what the Bible says. Sometimes we think as we as we get older and we're saved for a few years that I don't need to do that stuff anymore. Have you memorized the whole Bible? I haven't. I guess we got a ways to go, don't we? See, we're fortunate enough that you may have two or How many of you have two copies of the Bible in your home? How many of you have three copies of the Bible? Keep your hand up till I run out of... T- how many you have four copies? Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Fifteen. Okay. <laughs> Nine copies of the Bible in one home. Man, blessed to be able to do that, right? Sometimes familiarity familiarity breeds contempt. Those, those things that, are, that, that we understand are holy, the more we're near it, the more we, the, it's just, it becomes natural. We forget just how important it is. The, 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 the Jews in their excitement about the Ark of the Covenant coming back home, they were so excited that they, they opened it up, but they forgot that God said, don't touch it. We can never, we, we can never take for granted those things. That this, the, the, those things are holy. This word of God is holy, and it's, it's, it's man. It's part of the, the influx of the, the power of God in our lives. So no, we cannot separate it from prayer. Man, it's it's the breathing out of the, or it's the breathing in of the respiration. Yes, there's reading of the word. There is the, and this is the the hard part, the dying to self. Where I look at the word of God and I said, whatever God's word says, man, I will do. No matter what it is, I have to give up. Say, well, God doesn't want that from us. Yes, he does. What do you think God desires from his people? You think if, if he was talking to the, if you're reading about the, Jesus talking to the twelve disciples and, and Peter had said, "Well, you know, Lord, I, I want, I'm going to come with you fishing, but I I I've got the side gig, or uh, fishing for men, but I got the side gig. I'm just going to keep up with that." Do You think Jesus would have accepted that? Let's just be honest. Of course not. And we expect the disciples, those those twelve that walked with Jesus, to give up everything. But well, I won't give up the things I want. My hopes, my dreams, my plans, my thoughts. Uh, I'd rather hold on to some of this. Real abiding in Christ is, is the complete yielding of self to God. And allowing that inflow, that influx of the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ as He dwells as the Spirit dwells within us to flow out of us. It doesn't come from us. If it comes from you, it's not of God. If it's from your flesh, it's not of God. If, if you were able to do it all by yourself, then it wasn't of God. I heard, I heard a Chinese missionary come, came to America for the first time. Uh, he was a man who, uh, who pastored uh, several underground churches uh, over, over in China, uh, whose life had been in, in, in danger several times. And he came to America, and he saw the, the churches here in America. He goes, it is amazing what you guys can do without God. Because uh he's not talking about every American church, but he's talking about the these this this big building up but listen, uh, we need the Spirit of God to work. We need we need the power of prayer in our lives, but that comes at a cost. If you abide in me. The second part of that is if my word abides in you. Look at Colossians chapter. 316. Colossians 3:16 says this let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Jump down. Verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of, Inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We serve the Lord Christ. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And We'll come back to that in a second, but we serve the the Lord Christ. We, we, We sang the last song that we sang this morning is, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord right we We, we sang that. we all we all said he is. Lord, at the end of it says, every tongue shall bow, every uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. And the Bible promises that in the book of Philippians, that one day that's going to happen because his name is above every other name. Man, I look forward to that day. But the problem is, so many Christians will say he is Lord, but they won't live like he is Lord. The word Lord means he's He's our master. He is the one in control of our life. That, that, that if he says, Jump! We say how high and in which direction. That, that, that there's no hesitancy. That there's no argument. That there's no there's no holding back. He is Lord of our life. We don't say well, but I but you don't understand. I, I I've been I've done this all my life, and I just can't let it go now. Is he Lord or is he not? Well, but but you don't understand. I, I I've got this going is he God or is he Lord in your life or not? I'm not trying to teach lordship, salvation, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, but if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you decide, you have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. So, so, so is he Lord of your life or not? That's a body in Christ. Let's say, God, I, I I give my all to you, Lord. I need you to fill me up, Lord. I need you to help me not to not to, to give in to my flesh, but you be in control. God, fill me with your Spirit. Help me to live for you. Make me make make me a fruitful uh, so that I'm fruitful in every good work instead of fruitful in telling others about Christ. Help me, oh God, because I can't do it. I, without you, I'm just this dry, broken stick that can't do anything. I am unworthy, and I am helpless, and I am hopeless without you. But God, I need you. Please help me. And you rely upon that influx of the Spirit because if you if you're crying out for that, if you're seeking for that, he will give it to you. But the second part is letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yes, he is Lord, but now... and I'm reading that word. Lord, show me. Show me. Listen, God's not going to come down in angel-like form and say, listen, you need to change this in your life and this and this and this. I don't know if that's what we're waiting for, but God's looking down and he says, I have given you my word. Read it, study it, apply it to your life. In the book of James, it says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. He was talking to Christians. We're not any better than they were. Yes, we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a work that the need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yes, we're to know the word of God, but we're to live it. When's the last time you told somebody about, about, about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, Go eat into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When's the last time you told somebody? When's the last time you prayed for God, really, honestly, prayed for God to send laborers into the harvest? Well, you, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure Peter and James and John were too, especially after they got beat for it. You know what they did? They didn't say, God, remove this from us. Don't, don't ask us to do this anymore. They said, God, give us boldness. Give us the strength that we need to stand. There in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly. First thing you need to understand about that verse, is says, let, let. That shows that you actually have the power to let the Spirit of God use the Word of God to sanctify you. That's what we're talking about, sanctification. Uh, We're talking about, uh, about receiving the Word of God as it is in truth, the Word of God, allowing the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to sanctify you, to cleanse you and to set you apart for the master's use. Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, Lord, sanctify them by thy truth. And then he went on to say, thy word is truth. What's he saying? Lord, use your word to make them, to prepare them, to cleanse them for use. James chapter 1, verse 21. Keep your finger there in Colossians. We're going to come back to it. But James chapter 1. Verse 21 says this. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive, notice this, with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. That means that I don't just read it. But I, in my meekness, uh, in, my, I, in my humility, I, 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 I humble myself. I die to self and say, God, please help me to make this me. Change me. Show me. Listen, if we're praying for the Holy Spirit to, to, to show up, I said this the other day on a podcast and somebody picked it up. I didn't even know I said it. But it was really great. If true revival comes, it's not going to be found, we're not going to find ourselves all excited about what God's doing. True revival comes, we're going to find ourselves under conviction of the Holy Spirit for the sin that we have allowed to, 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 to just go on in our personal lives. We will stand before a holy God and for the first time see ourselves the way he sees us. Yes, he sees us in Christ and we are justified and I praise God for that. But he also says, be ye holy for I am holy. And when we see him for who he is, we'll see us for who we are. And just like Isaiah, will say, woe is me. But we'll never come to that point Until we're willing to die to self. Until we're willing to look at the scripture and say, God, your will is greater than my will. Your way is better than my way. God, I fall so short. I need you. That's a powerful prayer. You want God to hear your prayers? You know what needs to happen? your heart needs to be so intertwined with his that the things that you want that would be asking you miss are no longer your desires anymore. See, what happens is he changes you and and changes your desires and who you are and you begin to pray for those things that he promises you. There's so many promises in the word of God that, that, that we can have but those aren't the things that we desire. But as we intertwine ourselves with the Word of God and the heart of God. The things that we will desire will become the things that are His will. And listen, I could I give you a personal uh, experience where God changed my prayers. And not that my prayers were wrong or, or even motivated wrong, but God changed my heart. And I understood, okay, God, this is what you're going to do. But God, please do this. God answered in a great mighty way. Listen, it wasn't powerful because of who I was. It wasn't powerful because the prayer was fervent. It wasn't powerful because, because I was such a righteous person. It was powerful because God showed me his will and his way. And I said, Lord, may your will be done. Please, God. We want to have a powerful prayer life and a secret prayer life. That's what we need to do. Alone, locked away, nobody bothering us, shutting the world out, closing our mind off to the things of of the world and filling ourselves with the things of God and asking God to do something in us and helping us. And as he changes us, we willingly, with meekness, yield our flesh and who we were and what we wanted and what we thought and what we hoped for, we let God take those things away and replace them with His will in our life. You, you look back in Scripture, I think of, uh, no, sorry, not Scripture, look back in the history, I think of uh, a Jim Elliott. How many of you know who Jim Elliott was? I've talked about him several times, but nobody listens to me. <clears throat> sorry. Jim Elliott was a missionary. He, he, he was a missionary back in the 70s, I believe. Um, you may have heard of his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she's on the, radio, on the radio a lot. Um, she's, she's still alive. Um, I, I believe she's anyways. But she had a, had, has had a ministry for many years um, after his death. He died a very young man. He died reaching the very people that God called him to. Even more importantly, he died at the hand of the people God had called him to before he ever got to preach to them the gospel. Now you would say, hey, would you, if you were looking for a job or looking for a calling, would if you knew that that was going to be the end, would that be what you really wanted to do? Lord, I'll do anything else, but at least make me useful. Don't just let me get there and kill me. I mean, come on, God, I want to do something with my life. Or, or Lord, I want to do this, or I want to do this. Somebody asked Elizabeth Elliot shortly after he passed away about the death of her husband, and they, they put the date. and She goes, he, "I'm sorry, but Jim didn't die there, or not not die there, but die on that date." And she goes, "He didn't." She's like checking the records. She goes, I'm, "I'm sure that's 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 what." what I, she goes, "His body died there. Jim died when he was in high school." when he was just a teenage boy and God called him to the the mission field. He died then because he decided whatever God wanted for him was okay. And if God took his life the next day, that'd be fine. Most of us, if we knew that God was going to kill us at a young age, we might hesitate to say, okay, Lord, that's where I want to go. But what is that? Itself. Now, thankfully, the Lord doesn't necessarily show us those things. (laughs) I don't want to know when I'm going to die. That's just that's just. But what I do want is to have a heart that is dead, and say that dead itself. That I can say that Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. The things that I do are not by my power or by my strength, but they're through the power of God, as He works in me. I, I want to be able to say that the Word of God continues to abide in me and change me and make me more and more like Jesus Christ. I want to say that that that, 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 that through that God is intertwining my desires and my hearts with His, so that when I pray, God hears and God answers. Now listen, not every prayer of every godly man has ever been answered in the way that they wanted. And you cannot judge somebody's godliness uh, on, on whether or not God has given them what they've asked for. Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God did not remove it. But, a powerful, but then God told him why it wasn't removed. Powerful prayer is one that is intertwined with the will of God as we abide in him and he abides in us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, that teaches us. Lord, I thank you for teaching your disciples, Lord, and now us these, these truths. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to have a powerful prayer life. Lord, help us to abide in you, and your words to abide in us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Heads bowed, nice closed, just for a moment. I'd like to ask you a question. Two questions, actually. First, if you're not saved, if you're not sure where you would spend an eternity and you died today, would you raise your hand just so I can pray for you? Is there anybody at all? If that is you, if you're watching online or or you're afraid to raise your hand, please. Reach out. Contact us. Come talk to me after the service. Whatever, I, I, I want to share the gospel with you. The second question is this. If you desire a powerful prayer life, the word of God tells us what we need to obtain it. But it does cost us something. If God spoken to your heart this morning about your prayer life, about your body in Christ, or the word in you, would you raise your hand? I'm not asking you to admit anything. I just want to pray for you. See, let's see a few hands going up. Anybody else? May God help us. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. Lord, these truths, or they're, they're simple truths, Lord. They're not hard to to really gather, but Father, sometimes they're they're hard to live. God, I pray, Lord, that You would help each one, Lord, that raise your hand, and uh, in, Lord, just as, as You deal with them, Father, I pray that You would help them to to abide in You, and your word to abide in them. Lord, may You help us all to, to to strive to have a powerful prayer life, Lord, uh, uh, one that's in communion with you and your word. Lord, I pray that you would work and continue to work in our church and uh, through us. Lord, without you, we aren't anything, Father. So I I pray that uh, you would help us to yield to you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.